Welcome to Profit First Nation, the official podcast for entrepreneurs who are operating their businesses in the zone of permanent profitability. I'm Mike Michalowicz, the author of Profit First, and now here's your Profit First Nation guide, Daniel Mulvey. Welcome to Profit First Nation, the podcast for the top 17% of entrepreneurs with cash in the bank to correlate to their profitability. Profit First Nation is the podcast for intelligent entrepreneurs who have taken ownership of their financials and leveraged Profit First as a cash management system to make their businesses permanently profitable. I am Danielle Mulvey, an expert at guiding entrepreneurs on owning their financials in as little as 11 minutes per day and doing Profit First right. If you're a fan of Profit First and its author, Mike Michalowicz, you have found your tribe. We are a nation of successful entrepreneurs driven to be permanently profitable with a grit and a growth mindset that lets no obstacles stand in our way in pursuit of the three Ps, passion, profit, and play. On Profit First Nation, we dive into advanced Profit First strategies and we share the honest and authentic ups and downs of being a business owner. Today, I am so excited to welcome two very special guests. I have Taylor Hawkins and Hasten Zilstra joining us from my home area of Orange County, California. And uh, they are the proprietors and owners of Lucky Laundry, a laundromat. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Taylor and Haston. Oh, thanks, Danielle. It's good to be here. Thanks for having us. So we connected um, last spring. I got an email from Taylor. I got that in March of 2021. And um, I'm just going to read it. And you said, hey, Danielle, I've been reading Mike Michalowicz's books and found you on the Fix This Next Advisor Network. I own a laundromat with a business partner in Garden Grove that has seen a lot of growth since we remodeled it, but haven't been able to turn it into the profit machine we thought we could. So, you know, I mean, you had me at laundromat because I am a huge fan of laundromats because I can get all my family's laundry done in less than two hours instead of doing, you know, eight, nine loads of laundry. Plus, laundromats are amazing for getting all the bedding and the sheets and the blankets done. And uh, so you had me there and we did connect. Why don't you guys tell us about how you guys got into the laundromat business? Sure. So we have W2 jobs and we were looking for, you know, other uh, income and revenue streams for us to take advantage of. Uh, it's sort of weird to say, but Haston has always wanted to own a laundromat. So maybe he can talk a little bit about that. Uh, and when I looked at the numbers and looked at the industry, it looked like a good opportunity. Yeah. I mean, ever since I was a kid, you know, owning a laundromat was kind of something I aspired to because I looked at it and I thought, oh, this is an interesting business with interesting operations. Like, I love this idea that the customers come in and especially, you know, for a self-service laundromat, like they do, they basically do all the work. And I just, it, it, I really like the sense of community that the laundromat brings, that we can be a nice, safe, comfortable space for the community to come in, wash their clothes, kind of, you know, get that weekly routine taken care of in just a nice, friendly environment. Because, you know, we would go to the laundromat when I was a kid 
And it was always dirty. It was always very much designed to be this, um, this thing that you could tell that the owners and stuff just didn't care about. And, you know, as even as a kid, I was like, man, what if this was a nice environment to be in? And you guys do have a very lovely facility. It is clean. It is very efficient. Talk to us a little bit about when you made the acquisition and how you went about um, fulfilling Hastings' lifelong dream of owning a laundromat and how you found the one that you bought, the process that you went through to acquire it, and what your first kind of things were when you did acquire it. Well, we had a rough start. I mean, Taylor can tell you that Um, we kind of jumped just headfirst into purchasing a store. And uh, I'll be 100 percent honest, like, you know, we got screwed over a little bit when we bought it. It was a rough situation. We didn't do a lot of income verification. You know, we didn't we didn't do a lot of due diligence because we were just excited to get it. And so when we got it, you know, then the next challenges came. You know, we had a store with a ton of old machines in it that were all of different ages and different, you know, um, operational styles. You know, some were completely like mechanical and had no like modern computer electronics in it at all. And it kind of felt like for the first like couple years of ownership, you know, we were playing whack-a-mole. And at that time, from a business perspective, we were just kind of just burning cash because we didn't do the verification that was necessary. You know, we didn't have our pricing set up. We didn't have a strategy for what we were going to do with the money that we got. So we would commonly like overspend like crazy. So it was a really rough start. And there was a period where it was super stressful. And like, you know, we were just, we were like, we were ready to bail basically. So my dream had kind of turned into a bit of a nightmare because it was, you know, it was really hard. Well, I really appreciate your honesty with the fact that, you know, making the acquisition wasn't um, the better roses that you thought that you were buying. And, you know, that is like so, so common. I have talked to countless entrepreneurs who have acquired another business and again, so common. And there's things that you can do about that, um, but you definitely want to do some income verification Uh, You want to see bank statements for the business and you want to see their income tax returns for the business and as an individual. And if the person is not willing to share this information with you, then they've probably been using the business as a personal biggie bank and have not been so honest with Uncle Sam on um, their cash and their revenue. And that should be the deal breaker right there. That is the huge red flag that um, you're not going to get what they're saying that they're going to give you or what how the business is doing and such. So the only way to really verify, you know, income verification is by looking at the bank statements for the business, looking at the financials from the business and getting their tax returns for the business and as an individual as well. So super important. Thank you for sharing that important aspect, Hasten again, so common. We want to believe people. I mean, we want these opportunities and such, um, and you just have to be careful. But the good news is, is spoiler alert, you guys have done a tremendous job, um, but you, you know, were burning cash. You, you know, took on more than, than you were expecting to take on. 
you had um, equipment that was like whack-a-mole and of all different flavors and types and such, and you made some big investments into the business. Who found profit first or was it Fix This Next and how did we get finally connected? Yeah, I found uh, I found the book. I've read most of uh, Mike's books and you know, at that time, I, we knew that we needed consultants and, and some help to get out of this sort of mess we were in. And so, yeah, I reached out. And up to this point, when we did connect, you guys had made um, some investments in upgrading the equipment. And um, let's see, what else had you done? Um, you had not paid yourselves at all, right? Uh, that's correct. <laughs> and you had never taken a profit distribution, which is totally, totally common. So what was it about either Fix This Next and Profit First, because I think you had read both kind Mm -hmm. of within a short period of each other, that was like, this this makes sense. Yeah, I mean, well, you obviously see that the money's flowing in the wrong direction, right? I got into this business especially because, you know, I wanted it to be a revenue stream and I thought the money would come from the laundromat to my bank account, but it was only going the other direction. I didn't know why, so I set out to read books and talk to people smarter than me uh, that have done this before. Uh, some of those people were consultants, which uh, suggested that we you know, invest in new machinery that wouldn't be broken down as much and better for our, our users. And yeah, I, like I said, I reached out and um, we did the fix this next and we, we actually disagreed on what we thought would be next. So you guys both took the fix this next assessment and we'll have the link to that assessment. It's a completely free assessment that you can take um, and you get the results right away when you take it. But yeah, so you both took it independently. And what did you get, Taylor? I believe I got profit. Profit as the, as the thing to fix next. And, um, and Hasten, I think you got sales, right? Yep. And so, so it's okay. Agree to disagree. But I think that we focused on the sales aspect because that that's the cash generation. That's the base level in Fix This Next in the business hierarchy of needs. Sales is like oxygen. You got to have sales. And so, um, I, you know, that's what we sort of started talking about was getting more sales into the business. So what did you guys do about that? Well, we had some advantages, you know, um, time-wise, you know, as people started to reassess, you know, the pandemic and work through that. Um, we were able to kind of create some marketing, some marketing, local marketing campaigns, and just extremely simple stuff. You know, we talked to our customers and, you know, um, we put banners and feather flags out in front of our store and we rotate them fairly often. And people are like, oh, I see that because, you know, we discovered that like, oh, we're get you know, thanks to local models, they tell us like 50,000 cars pass by our store every day. And I'm like, so you're telling me I can buy a $300 banner, keep it up for a month, and like I will get, you know, that ridiculous number of impressions? Like, that's awesome. That's way cheaper than anything I can do online. So we did some, you know, we did some physical marketing. We did some door hanger campaigns where, you know, where we have constant sort of online marketing that's happening. And we've discovered that through that process, getting more customers, getting more users of our store, it's the really simple things like showing them pictures of the clean store, showing them, you know, a vid- videos of other customers using the store, just showing kind of the environment of what it is. And, you know, 
that combined with looking at our competition and being confident in ourselves that like, you know, we do have the best offering around. You know, all those other laundromats in our area looked like my laundromat when I was a kid. Run down, half the machines are out of order, all that other stuff. Like we really want to show off to users that we that we care. And, you know, that helped us when it came to increasing sales. So you guys definitely, you know, Mike talks about this too, um, the EST factor, the E-S-T factor. So you guys are definitely the best out of your competition and you are the cleanest and you are many more things in terms of EST. And, you know, we talked about the sales and, you know, making sure that when you would do some marketing efforts that you were going to be getting a good 6X to 10X return on those efforts. And so... The $300 banner, excellent. Great idea to be rotating that out so it doesn't just become what's always there um, on the street. And then tell us how you executed on the door hanger campaign because, again, highly targeted and it, you know, much better than a mailer because we get too much mail, but how often do you get a door hanger? So I think that was a brilliant move on your part. How did you guys execute on that? Well, it's a funny story. So, Taylor, what what had happened at your house? Yeah, I just like talking to people, really. So I was on a walk and saw um, somebody hanging, like handing out door hangers, putting them on doors. And I just approached them and said, you know, how does this work? What are you doing? Who's this realtor? You're, you know, all these questions. And long story short, it turns out to be extremely affordable uh, to have this person just go and uh, do door hangers for us at whatever, you know, cadence we want and whatever sort of zone around the laundromat, things like that, like what areas we want to hit. Uh, they're extremely effective. We trust the work. And um, we also have good relationships with printing folks. So we get a really good bang for buck of our, our door hangers. Uh, if you look at like online, we've tried before online. It was, I want to say it was like $2,500. And now we're able to do the exact same thing, but for like $300. Awesome. And you're getting a total 6x to 10x return. And, you know, I think it's important to point out, too, I'm just going to, like, kind of, um, oh, I don't know how to say this, but you identified someone in your neighborhood, but your neighborhood where you saw that person doing the door hangings is not the neighborhood that your laundry mat is in. That's right. Yeah. It was just my local neighborhood. We're about 10 miles away. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, let's just be honest, different demographics and such, but you saw something that was working here and then applied it into your neighborhood where your laundromat is and, you know, probably not getting much traffic in terms of that door hanger. So it's even standing out more um, by taking an idea from somewhere else and applying it to the geographic area of your location. And then I love hearing about the videos and the pictures showing people what the experience is like, because if anyone has experienced a laundromat in that area, it, like you said, it wasn't as nice as, as what you guys have to offer. And it's not the cleanest and, and they're not the best. So you guys demonstrating that is, is really great. Um, and I'm so just thrilled to hear how simple that you kept it. Yeah. And one more sort of est that we have is that we're sort of narrowing in on the persona that we like to cater to. And a big advantage that we have in our area is that we have the biggest machines. Uh, and the folks who come in, like, I got to say, I just had a, a one-year-old. I have a one-year-old. And uh, I wouldn't believe how much laundry she has. 
Like it's insane. So, and she does all her own laundry. So that added like <laughs> another, you know, so many hours to my Sunday ritual of doing laundry. So uh, it's pretty easy to see if you're, you know, if you have a family of four or five people, uh, you start to add up hundreds of pounds of laundry pretty quickly. So we're focusing more on the sort of larger families, different uh, marketing campaigns to focus on that as well, to double down on our big machines. That's brilliant. Yeah, we've done some things to make our experience frictionless as well. You know, um, we offer, you know, app payment, you know, where users get rewards and discounts. So they want to come back. We offer, um, you know, we do things like we do some really clever things that we brought to the industry, you know, things like, hey, we discovered that if you put this, you know, $20 box on your change machines, you can give people remote refunds. So that way, when they call you and they're like, hey, you know, because, you know, they're mechanical machines, they go out of order. When they call you, you can be like, hey, I'm really sorry. Yeah, we'll be able to come over and check that out, you know, in an hour or two. But until then, let me get you started in another machine. Let me give you enough so that you can get some soap and some whatever else. And it's a level of like experience that, you know, none of our competitors have. And unlike the traditional sort of industry model, which would be, oh, you would need to pay like a full time employee to be in the store all the time to do that. We don't. We figured out how to do that stuff remotely, and that saves a lot on our operational costs as well. So we can target those big customers, and then when they come in, they can just get their stuff done and have a completely frictionless experience. That's awesome. So you know what's interesting is I'm looking at some emails, and um, so so last March, we set up a meeting, and I said, you know, here's let's what we can talk about is, um, or no, what you guys wanted to talk about is how to advertise as a mostly cash business, pricing strategy and offering specials and expansion versus debt reduction. So we talked through things like that. You guys have obviously executed on that. Um, And we talked about raising prices for sure. You know, it was more like discounting, but that wasn't going to get you business and that wasn't going to get you out of debt. So I challenged you guys that discounting was not the way to go because that um, is not the way to increase your profitability. And so you guys did increase your prices. Taylor, would you mind sharing the email update that you sent on January 11th of this year? So less than a year after we talked. Yeah, absolutely. So I said, hey, Danielle, hope you're doing well. I still listen to the podcast and just wanted to send you a quick uh, thank you from Haston and I. I'm not sure what sort of magic you and the Profit First system have, but since we last spoke, we've been able to, one, drive revenue up 10% to and cut expenses by 10% three. And we just raised prices another 10%. We've also stuck to the allocation schedule that you gave us. We're proud to say we paid off a loan three years early. We plan to snowball this into the remaining debt we have. So we can finally start to enjoy some of the fruits of all this work. Oh my gosh. It is magic, isn't it? It's totally magic. (laughs) Um, The effects of profit first. You guys just have knocked it out of the park. Um, so we talked about how you drove up revenue and that was with um, your advertising and, and doing simple things and not spending a lot, but you're definitely producing a great return on what you've been spending on advertising. And I love how you guys have been focusing on, you know, more of like that ideal customer, that customer who's, you know, kind of like me, wants to come in and get a lot of laundry done, get six, seven, eight loads done in a short amount of time very efficiently. How did you guys cut expenses? Yeah, so you were actually uh, a motivator there. So you gave us the challenge to find ways to cut expenses. And 
you know, a part of it was we knew, you know, we got this laundromat and when we acquired it, a lot of it was, you know, wink, wink, this is how the industry works. It, you know, we make a lot more money than we say we do. You will too. Uh, they didn't. Uh, and so we were constantly chasing this. We have to expand. We have to get bigger. We have to spend money. We have to get new machines. We have to get more debt, things like that. So uh, finally, I felt like, you know, this is a really nice store. We should be able to sort of cut back on the expansion. Uh, and so we started thinking of ways to cut expenses and things like, you know, advertising that in a cash business, it's really hard to do attribution. So if we're doing advertising, but there's no way to prove that it's working, we cut that back. <clears throat> we were able to, you know, during the pandemic, uh, I was just thinking about some of the partners that we had and we use a cleaning service and a lot of those folks got laid off and, you know, the business owner that we know for the cleaning service uh, was having a hard time. So I just asked if we could do uh, either quarterly or yearly payments ahead of time. And that gave us a really big uh, discount. Uh, we were also able to do like, you know, tweak our water levels and some of the machines that were just using too much water, uh, signing up for, you know, government programs to do like different types of uh, utility expenses uh, to cut on like gas and electricity. So just everything we did and every little thing started to just slice away at those expenses until we're doing pretty well now. Even just what's great about Profit First and having the multiple accounts set up and that arrangement is, is that if we have a big expenditure that we need to do, that we know is coming up, right? And I'll give you a real example, which is kind of, you know, we're dealing with our change, you know, change machines because we still have, we're, you know, we're still a cash business in, in many ways. And so... What was great about having these accounts is, is that before I would have said, Taylor, we just desperately need to buy two new change machines, and it's going to be about $15,000 for those two new change machines. And then Taylor would have been like, well, we don't have the money, but I understand that we need it, and like we should do something about it. And like it was this very hand-wringing process. Now with the multiple accounts and having the profit account and the expenditure account and the deposit account, that worrying about what things cost and if we have enough money and what kind of money we can spend on those things means that's already answered for me. And the answer at that time was no. So we had to come come up with more clever things about, okay, what do we roll out? What do we make available? How do we change things? And that, to me, from an operational perspective, is like the biggest advantage of, of Profit First, is that it's not just about you know, setting aside that money so we can pay off loans early or whatever else, but it's about knowing you know, what, are my ex what are my expenses, and if I have one of those big expenses, what can we really afford? So have you guys added any like, additional accounts besides the core five accounts? No, we're still uh, we're still just the core five. Okay, awesome. That's great. What would you say to people who were like you over a year ago, and you know had not implemented profit first? I think that this is a really hard sell because I was in your shoes, and it doesn't feel like it's going to work. And you keep thinking, "Oh, I can just do it," you know, ninety percent of the way, and I can just, you know, I'll get to those accounts. I'll do this. Uh, but like everybody before me has said, if you just do what the book says and what Danielle coaches you to do, it works. <laughs> I don't know how to make that sale, but I promise you it's, it's true. 
Um, it's a little magic too, as you as as you said um, in your email. Mm -hmm. So I love that. It is it is a little magic, um, but it's it's just because if you if you do profit first right, um, and if you just follow the book. Um, and you just focus on, you know, the only two levers to increasing profitability is to increase margin. And you guys have done that. You guys have raised your prices, I think, a couple of times in less than a year. Is that correct? That's right. And you have decreased your expenses. So you've done both of the magic levers uh, and you've decreased expenses by 10 percent. Um, you know, that is giving you that lift in profitability. And then, whoa, what did you do? You took that profit and you paid off a loan three years early of business debt that you had, which is amazing. And now you're just snowballing um, that, uh, you know, regular payment that you were making into um, your other remaining debt. So, and you only have one debt remaining. Is that correct? That's right. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Hasten, do you have any advice for your fellow Profit First Nation entrepreneurs? I think if I were to, you know, if I were to talk through this process, I would be like, you know, l leverage the skills that you have yourself and, you know, use this model as a way of also benefiting yourself, right? Like when we first bought the business and even up through the remodel, <clears throat> I was scared to do a lot of stuff myself for fear of breaking things or not, you know, not being good at it or it taking too long or whatever else. I think what Profit First gave me this real satisfaction in is that when I work in the store and I spend my own elbow grease on fixing an issue or choosing to take it on myself, I know that I'm getting that that money now and that it's not just like i know that my time is valuable and that my time is worth it and it it's it's adding real value to the individual entrepreneur's owner experience rather than just oh well we have this kind of big bank account where money goes in and out and i don't really think about it and yeah you know i'm not really paying myself so do i really want to be involved with this is this just going to the value of the business like it totally changed my outlook on how I feel about growing my skills in doing stuff myself for the business. Yeah. So thank you for bringing that up because we did have that specific conversation. I mean, I think we only had like two, like two meetings, if I'm not correct. And they were just Zoom and we talked about some things. I set some challenges for you guys and boom, you guys have taken it and run with it. But, you know, I, I do remember how we were talking about I mean, I can do it. Like, I don't mind doing it. And it's like, but you should get rewarded for doing it. You should be able to pay yourself. It's, yeah, you can do it, but but you definitely need to be doing it where where you get some value out of it. Um, so I'm really glad that that has happened for you guys in the business. And I think, you know, like you said, that was a bit of a wake-up call too. So thank you guys so much. I love hearing from anyone and everyone about your Profit First success. So please feel free to uh, share with us your Profit First success. And you can do that by going to ProfitFirstNation.com and clicking on contact. And there you can um, fill out a form and send us an email and we can get connected that way. If you would like to work with a certified Profit First professional, accountant, bookkeeper, or coach like 
Taylor and Haston did when they worked with me, then you can do that as well by going to ProfitFirstNation.com and clicking on contact and clicking on the button that says you would like to work with a Profit First professional. And cheers to another profitable day, my entrepreneurial friends. Profit First Nation website, related podcasts, and resources are provided for general information purposes only and do not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Visitors should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. 